Thanks, John. And uh, I agree with John's comments when he was trying to fix the microphone uh, that the music this morning has been such a blessing. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Ramsey. Um, thank you, Allie. Uh, you're the, I don't know, and thank you, congregation, for lifting your voices and singing. Um, Ephesians tells us to minister to one another through songs and hymns and spiritual songs, and uh, your singing today ministered to me, so I appreciate your voices being lifted, church family. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15 today, so if you have your Bible, you can open there to Acts chapter 15, um, and as you're turning there or opening your device there, uh, I'd like to mention just a few things. Um, as always, every Sunday, I want to take a moment and just thank you for being here, especially if you are a first-time guest with us today. Um, whether you're joining here at Maine, if you're listening over at East or online, um, thank you for being here. We, we are ex- a church that exists for Jesus. Uh, we do want to make him known here, near, and everywhere. Um, We exist as a church to help people know him and make him known. And so today, if you're new with us, I hope you know Jesus. And if you do know Jesus, I hope that the joy in the life of Christ uh, fills your heart this morning. And if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus personally, uh, my prayer is that you will very soon and that he will become not just the savior of the world, but he will become the savior of you and that you would come to know him. So if you're new with us, welcome. Uh, I also want to tell you a little bit about Uh, where things are going with our sermons over the next uh, season of life in our church. Um, Today is going to be our last sermon for a while in the book of Acts. And so I think this is sermon number 35 that we've done in the book of Acts. So we're going to take a little break here. And then next Sunday, as John mentioned, uh, we are going to have a a mission Sunday, which I look forward to. I'm so looking forward to this. We're going to celebrate the missions work that God has done among our missions partners and within our church. We're going to celebrate what he's done over the past year. And then we're also going to look to the future and kind of think, where do we sense God leading us to be involved in missions work down the road? And so it'll be a really encouraging Sunday next Sunday. I hope that you'll come. If you have people who are interested in missions and uh, that type of thing, it would be a great Sunday to invite them uh, to be here with us. So that'll be next Sunday, October 23rd. And then the following Sunday, October 30th, we're actually going to start a, uh, what we're calling our Make Him Known Refresh series. So, you know, it's hard for me to believe, but a year ago, we launched our Make Him Known initiative and preached the Make Him Known sermon series a year ago. Uh, now we're at the midway point, and we are going to refresh that whole vision for what the Lord has called us to do to make Him known, making disciples. And uh, we will begin that series on October 30th, and then we'll carry that on for a few weeks. And then once we get to December, we are going to have an Advent sermon series leading up into Christmas to prepare our hearts for worshiping the Lord Jesus, and that will take us on into the new year. And then once we get into the new year, uh, we will make our way back into uh, the book of Acts. So today, we are going to pick up in our last sermon in the book of Acts for this year. Uh, And actually, it's interesting because this is kind of the last event that occurs in the book of Acts before Paul goes on his second missionary journey. And so when we jump back into our study in the book of Acts uh, in early next year, we'll be starting the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. But today, we're going to wrap things up uh, before he heads out on that second journey. So as we start out in today's message, I want to tell you a quick little story. Um, This past week, I heard about a book that was written in the 1970s by an author named Leslie Flynn. um, And the book was entitled, check this out, Great 
church fights. Great church fights, right? Sounds super interesting. Um, in the uh, opening chapters of that book, he tells a story about two porcupines, uh, and they were nearly freezing to death out in the woods, and so in order to keep warm and live, they decided to huddle together, all right? But when they got too close, what happened? Their quills pricked each other too much, and they had to move apart. So I'll say it this way in my cheesy pastor way. They needed each other for warmth, but they needled each other with their sharp quills, okay? And here's the thing. People in the church are like porcupines. We need each other, but we also needle each other sometimes, don't we? Uh, There was a Southern Baptist evangelist um, named Vance Havner who once said this. There are many porcupine Christians. They have lots of good points, but you can't get near them, right? And the truth is, guys, this is the reality. You know this. Uh, The truth is that as Christians, we are to love each other, but sometimes it's really hard to like each other. Um, You know, if you're honest with yourself and if I'm honest with myself, uh, I know it doesn't sound very godly or spiritual, but it's true, right? We, our personalities clash. Uh, we prefer one, you know, things differently than each other. We do things differently than each other. Sometimes we don't see eye to eye. And uh, over my 20 years of ministry experience, I have finally come to settle this in my heart. I, I don't necessarily like it when we disagree, but I have come to peace with all of you being wrong. And it's okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, so um, the re- I know I get myself in trouble with those types of things. Uh, the reality is, is that um, if you've been in the church world for any time at all, you know conflicts happen, disagreements occur, and they occur with other Christians. And sometimes our disagreements can become strong enough that they lead us to actually separate from one another, okay? Well, today's text is about two men in the church, godly men, spiritual leaders, mature men, who disagree, and then they agree to separate from one another. So we've been going through the book of Acts, and uh, we need to remember what the book of Acts is all about. We said in the very beginning that the book of Acts is called the book of Acts because it's about the actions of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and the disciples in the early church. This is a historical record of them, these, these early disciples going out from Jerusalem and into the world, and as they do and as they go, they are being witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we left off in Acts chapter 15. Um, the events of Acts chapter 15 took place around 50 A.D., uh, the apostles Paul and Barnabas, they you know, just left Jerusalem and they went north to Antioch in Syria. They took two men from Jerusalem with them named uh, Silas and Judas. And the purpose of going north to the church in Antioch was to deliver a letter from the church in Jerusalem to the church in Antioch of Syria. Because remember, there had been this big debate going on. And the debate that we've been studying for the past couple sermons was about this. Like some people thought that the Gentiles could be saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Other people thought, no, 
Uh, They can be saved, but they need to add Judaism to their faith in Jesus. They need to add those religious works to their faith in order to be saved. And so there was this big conflict, and there ended up being a a big meeting. Because they couldn't settle their conflict at the church in Antioch of Syria, they said, well, let's go ask the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem and get them to make a decision. And so they... um, you know, there was this big meeting down in the city of Jerusalem that your Bible calls the Jerusalem Council. And uh, here were the two main conclusions from the Jerusalem Council. The first conclusion was, no, the Gentiles do not need to add Judaism to their faith in Jesus to be saved because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That was conclusion number one. Conclusion number two was, yes, these new Gentile converts do need to be considerate of the things that are offensive to the Jews. Because, what did we say last week? Doing or not doing certain works can't make you a Christian, but it can help with Christian fellowship, okay? And that was the content of the letter that was written and being delivered back to the church in Syria and Antioch. And after delivering it, The church read it and rejoiced, and Paul and Barnabas stayed with them in that area, preaching and teaching for some time. So now that's where we left off in this historical record in the book of Acts. Uh, So today we're going to pick up in verse 36 of chapter 15. Um, We're going to work our way down to the end of the chapter, verse 41. Like always, I want to make several teaching points along the way, and then we'll bring it home with some personal takeaways and some closing application that all ties into the big idea of this section of Scripture And the big idea is this, listen, God will accomplish his sovereign purposes even when Christian leaders disagree and separate. God will accomplish his sovereign purposes even when Christian leaders disagree and separate. That's the main idea. Let's look at this starting in verse 36. Verse 36 says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. So right away, I just want you to see that Paul, you know, he loved these churches that had been started on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. He wanted to grab Barnabas and say, hey, let's go back and visit these churches. We've been here in Antioch of Syria for a while, but let's go. Let's go see them. And the fact that he wanted to go back and visit them is amazing to me. And here's why. Because as we've been studying Acts, What happened every time he went to, you know, those churches in one of those cities? Hardship, conflict, some sort of difficulty was there. Remember, um, he was opposed by a sorcerer in Paphos on the island of Cyprus. The Jews and the leading women uh, stirred up persecution against them in the city of uh, Antioch in Pisidia. Uh, There was a plot to stone him in the city of Iconium. There was an actual stoning of him in the city of Lystra. And despite all those hardships that have gone on that they faced in every city, Paul wanted to go back and check on these new churches that were in those places. Why? He did it because he loved them and he cared about them deeply. And so we see that in his life and his ministry. We see it here in the book of Acts. Now, after being here in Antioch for some time, he says, Barnabas, what do you think? You want to go back and... As nice as that sounds, this led to yet another conflict, right? And that's what we're going to see starting in verse 37. So verse 37 says, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. 
and there arose a sharp disagreement. So I love how the Bible is just so honest, right? Oh, we didn't just have a, we didn't just have a little miscommunication, okay? We have a sharp disagreement going on here, a serious problem. So this all happened despite Paul and Barnabas' good intentions. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him. Paul says, no, we already tried that before. John Mark came with us on our first journey, traveled with us for a while, but bailed. If you remember, that's what we discussed about all the way back in Acts chapter 13, where, you know, John Mark was with them on the island of Cyprus doing ministry there. They went north to uh, the region of Pamphylia, uh, what we would call modern day Turkey now. And once they got there, John Mark quit and he got on a boat and sailed back home. And so before we think too much about this, a couple things, I want us to look at the Bible and understand a couple of uh, insights about John Mark that we can gather as we study other passages of Scripture. So in Acts chapter 12, you know, weeks ago we studied this. It was when the Apostle Paul, or excuse me, Peter was in prison. He was miraculously freed and released from prison. Um, And when he left, he went through the city and he went to a particular house. And at that house, it says that the Scripture, the Scriptures say that the disciples were there. They were meeting. They were praying for his release. And uh, he knocks on the gate and a girl comes out and meets him at the gate and she's stunned. And she's like, hey, we're praying for you inside that you would be here. So she goes back in to tell people, Peter's here. And she just leaves Peter at the gate. And, uh, and so what ends up happening is as you read that story, what it tells us is that the house where the people were gathered to pray was actually the house of John Mark's mother. Okay? So what do we learn about John Mark there? We learn that he had a Christian mother. Uh, that that Christian mother was connected enough to have a community of believers in her church. She was spiritually mature enough to be praying for the Apostle Peter in faith, trusting for his release. So John Mark had a strong believing mother. He was raised very likely in a Christian community. That's uh, Acts chapter 12. In Colossians chapter 4, we also learn some other things about Mark. Um, We learn in Colossians 4 that John Mark was Barnabas's cousin. And so maybe you can see why Barnabas had a little extra grace in his heart towards John Mark. You know, it's his cousin. It's his family. He's a little more lenient with him. He wanted to give his cousin another chance. Maybe he wanted to, um, you know, graciously say, John Mark, I know you bailed on us before, but let's go back now and let's see what you missed out on because God still did some things and we still want you to get in on it. So Barnabas was ready to give John Mark another shot, even though John Mark bailed out on the first journey, which helps us understand why the Bible refers to Barnabas as the son of encouragement in Acts chapter 4. It's part of who he was. But here in Acts chapter 15, what do we see? Paul didn't want that. He didn't want to take John Mark He didn't want to deal with that again. He didn't want to have another quitter on the second missionary journey. But Barnabas did want to take him, and therefore the sharp disagreement arose, and that's the problem. Now, here's what I want you to understand. First of all, this disagreement was about gospel workers, not about the gospel work, okay? This was about gospel workers, not about the gospel work. Paul and Barnabas agreed on the gospel, right? They they both preached Christ, they were, they were not confused about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. They would go somewhere and they would preach that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, that he uh, was, was the son of God who came into this world and lived a sinless life, that he died like a sinner on a Roman cross, even though he had no sin in, his, in himself. 
So what was he doing dying on that cross? He was dying in the place of sinners, sinners like me and you, sinners like the people that they were preaching to in the book of Acts. He was taking the wrath of God upon himself on the cross, and he died. But after three days, God raised him from the dead. And God showed that he has power and victory over sin by raising his son Jesus from the dead. And those who believe in him can have new life as well and have victory over sin. And so this new life, this this message of Jesus being the long-awaited Messiah, that was the message Paul and Barnabas preached. That's the message we preach. That's the people that, you know, that's the message that people in the early church believed. That's the message I hope that you believe today. But Paul and Barnabas were not confused about the gospel. They were united on gospel work, but their disagreement was about gospel workers, okay? So what's going to happen? Verse 39 tells us. They had this sharp disagreement. Verse 39 says, so that they separated from each other. Now this, to me, just gets my attention, right? Because Paul and Barnabas had worked so closely together as we've seen over the past few chapters. But Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Guys, this is Paul and Barnabas, right? These are two like bosom buddies, man. These guys are like you know, it's great tag team going for the gospel together. And it's hard believe, to believe that they parted ways. Like, don't you read this? And you're like, come on, guys, couldn't you figure this out? Like, you think two strong Christian men, leaders in the church, you think they'd be able to work it out, but, but they, they couldn't. And so Barnabas takes Mark and Paul takes Silas and they head out separate ways. Interestingly, the mission still got accomplished Because the goal, remember, was to go back and strengthen all those churches. Well, what does it say? Barnabas and Mark went to the island of Cyprus and ministered to the churches there. Paul took Silas and goes north to the region of Pamphylia and the churches up that way. And those churches uh, get strengthened and encouraged as well. And that's what we're going to see later in, in Paul's second missionary journey. The mission still gets accomplished. So here's the question that arises whenever we talk about this passage. Everybody wants to know this. Who was right? Paul? Barnabas? Who was right? Who do, we, who, who do we need to be like? Do we need to be like Paul? Do we need to be like Barnabas? You know, some of us lean that way. Do, do we need to be like Paul? Because what was Paul all about, man? He's, he's determined. He's hardcore. He's pressing ahead. He's, he's on mission with the gospel. He's, he's, you know, got zeal in his heart. And he puts these high expectations on gospel workers. Um, his words are, are kind of Uh, His actions are kind of reminiscent of the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 9, verse 62, where Jesus says, no man having put his hand to the plow and then looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So there's something like that going on in the apostle Paul. And yet Barnabas, you know, do we need to be like him? Because what is he? He's patient, he's gracious, he's long-suffering, he's willing to give second chances to people who have failed, and his actions are representative of The words of Jesus from Matthew 18, verse 22, where Jesus says, hey, if somebody wrongs you, um, don't just forgive them seven times, but 70 times seven. And so there's this call of Jesus to have a forgiving heart, and we see that in, in the heart of Barnabas. So who was right? That's the question. What do we, you know, here's the thing. When it comes to answering this question, here's what we need to remember. We need to remember what the point of the book of Acts is, and therefore we need to remember what the point of this portion of Acts chapter 15 is. 
And the point of the passage is not written so that we follow Paul's example or Barnabas's example. The point of the book of Acts and the point of Acts chapter 15 in particular is for us to see how God moves the gospel forward from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. It's it's to see God's sovereign hand. And what have we seen all the way through our study in the book of Acts? We've seen that God uses all sorts of unique means to move his gospel forward from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. He's done it by miraculous, supernatural works done through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've seen how he's done it through the persecution and suffering of the church in Jerusalem that caused them to scatter elsewhere and take the gospel. We've seen how he's done it through converting an unlikely persecutor of Christians named Saul and turning him into a missionary. We've seen how he's done it by giving people dreams like Peter and Cornelius and then connecting them together. We've seen God do it by calling together churches to lay hands on and send out the first missionaries ever sent out on a missionary work in the history of the church. God can get the gospel out to the ends of the earth by any means he pleases. And in this case, he's chosen to do so by allowing a sharp disagreement against two godly men who eventually agreed to part ways. And thereby, what are they doing? They're taking the gospel, two new teams, taking the gospel out to different parts of the world. So let me remind you of the hand of God at work in all of this. Mature Barnabas, godly leader Barnabas, he would take young John Mark with him and continue in ministry. And although the Bible doesn't specifically tell us much about Barnabas and John Mark and what happened there, the writings of the early church fathers do. And so people like Clement of Alexandria and Eusebius and Justin Martyr, early church fathers, they wrote about this. And here's what they tell us. They tell us that Barnabas ended up connecting John Mark with Peter. And Peter and John Mark ended up becoming very, very close with one another. In fact, in 1 Peter, um, Peter is writing to these churches and he refers to John Mark as his son, right? a son in the faith. And so tradition has it that while uh, Peter was imprisoned in Rome, John Mark was there with him. And that it's very likely that John Mark literally was listening to the stories of Peter, writing down all these memories of the events that had occurred as Peter told them. And John Mark is writing these stories down and putting them in a collection uh, that we now know as one of our New Testament books, the, the book that we call the Gospel of Mark. So how did John Mark end up getting closely connected with Peter? It was through Barnabas. And when did... Barnabas happened to make all that occur during that season that Paul and Barnabas had split. If they had been together, probably wouldn't have happened. But what do we see? God will accomplish his sovereign purposes even when Christian leaders disagree and choose to separate. Now that was the case in the life of Barnabas and John Mark, but it's also the case in the life of the Apostle Paul. Because as we're going to read in the next chapter of Acts, we're going to see that something very important happens in the life of the Apostle Paul. He'll end up joining up with a different young man, not John Mark, but he'll meet a different young man named Timothy. And Timothy will end up traveling with the Apostle Paul and Silas and their missionary band. And Paul and Timothy are going to become very close. And Paul ends up calling Timothy, my true son in the faith, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. 
Timothy would become this apostolic assistant to Paul. He became a leader among the early churches. They would end up writing letters back and forth. And eventually Paul's letters to young Timothy would end up in our Bibles as well. And we now call them the, the letters of First and Second Timothy. So how did Paul and Timothy get connected? They got connected on Paul's second missionary journey. And on that second missionary journey, Paul didn't have a young John Mark to disciple and take along with him, so he took young Timothy instead. See, God is going to accomplish his sovereign purposes, even when Christian leaders disagree and choose to separate. So what are some takeaways for us? What, is some, what are some application points for us? Let me give you three takeaways that we can glean from this text. First of all, church family, we've got to understand this. Good intentions and serious disagreements can coexist at the same time in the hearts of godly people, okay? You can be a godly per two godly people can come to the table both with good intentions and yet still have serious disagreements. It can happen. Paul and Barnabas were godly men, and both of these godly men had good motives, right? Paul's motive was to take the gospel out to the Gentiles, to strengthen the churches. Barnabas's desire was to give John Mark a second chance and to show grace, right? Paul was interested in people doing God's work. Barnabas was interested in God's work being done in the hearts of people. Both of those are good motives, absolutely good motives, but they're just different. And yet still, these men with good motives, they had a sharp disagreement. But here's what we come to see as we read the, the rest of the New Testament. Despite their sharp disagreement, despite the fact that they even chose to separate, they still maintained a spirit of Christian love and unity with each other. And here's how we see this. It's because later on in the New Testament, words are written that show us what happens. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth years after these events occurred in Acts 15. And, and, he writes, and, and he writes as if Barnabas is right there with him at his side. And you can see that there's this affection in his heart towards Barnabas in 1 Corinthians 9. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 24, again written many years later, Paul calls John Mark a fellow worker in the gospel. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, Paul also refers to John Mark as being useful to him in ministry. So, so bring him. He wants to do ministry with him. So despite disagreeing sharply, they could still love each other deeply. And church family, we've got to do the same. Even when we disagree sharply, we can still carry in our hearts the love of Jesus. And again, I'm not talking about disagreements about priority doctrinal issues. We're talking about whether or not we can work together in ministry here. We're talking about people issues here, not gospel-centric issues. Love can still be in our hearts even when we choose to disagree with people. So let me be real practical with our church family here for just a moment. We've got ministry decisions to make all the time in this church. Um, we've got staffing decisions to make. Are we going to hire this person or that person? Who do we prefer? We have to appoint leaders in this church. Uh, who's, you know, who do we want, this person or that person? We have to choose. Uh, we have ministry opportunities. Are we going to partner with this organization or that organization? Are we going to promote this event or not? Uh, are we going to spend money on this thing or are we going to spend money on that thing or on no thing? Um, we have 
issues that are going to arise. How about our nice little building project out there? Some people are going to prefer that it looks one way, and other people are going to prefer that it looked a different way. Okay? These things are going to come up all the time. But when our preferences aren't the same, when our preferences are not the same, and even when we disagree sharply, sometimes to the point of even separating, we must choose to love each other deeply. And let's remember, when those disagreements start to arise, it is very possible for godly people to have both good intentions and yet serious disagreements at the same time. It happens. We see it here with Paul and Barnabas. Second uh, practical takeaway for us. Trust that God may allow gospel workers to separate so that gospel work may advance. This is a big one for us. We must learn to trust that God may allow gospel workers to separate. When I talk about gospel workers, I'm not talking about exclusively preachers or paid staff people. I'm talking about people in the church who are doing the work of the gospel. God may allow gospel workers to separate so that gospel work may advance. That's what we see with Paul and Barnabas. God accomplished his sovereign purposes by allowing them to separate. And the truth is, guys, that sometimes we in this church will part ways with other people because of ministry disagreements. Sometimes we'll choose to separate. Sometimes other people will choose to separate from us because of ministry disagreements. It's hard. It's sad. It's heavy. But it happens. And I was thinking and praying about this last night, and it's like the Holy Spirit just put it on my heart to say, uh, hey, Jason, you need to tell them that this isn't like your resignation sermon, okay? So I just want to make sure that everybody knows that. Um, but it's hard. You know, some of you have come here um, after having gone through a dif- difficult separation in a previous church. It's very likely, we've, I mean, we've already seen it happen in our church where people have left because of the disagreements. It's likely that it's going to happen again. It was hard for me to separate from my previous church because of certain disagreements. And I could look back and tell you all the stories and give you all the details of what led to that. And and that, you know, there's there's almost no benefit that would really come from that. And I'm certainly not going into that in this setting. But one thing I can say with full confidence now is this. I can say this with certainty in my heart. God separated me from my previous places in order to bring me to this place. He allowed that separation from a previous place in order to bring me to this place. And yeah, sure, it would be it'd be super easy to look back and get mad and stay bitter or you know try to justify myself or whatever, you know, because sometimes disagreements arise. They're sharp, they're painful, they hurt. And even still to this day, there's a longing in my heart to be able to have a true, like full restoration with people where brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ is, is fully restored. Sometimes I actually have dreams about that. And I'm, I am, and I'm confident that someday it's going to happen, whether in this lifetime or when I see those brothers and sisters again in heaven. It's going to happen because I know and when it happens, I'm going to say thank you, Lord, right? Because I know that God separated me from my previous places in order to bring me to this place. I believe God brought me to you, and I believe God brought you to me. I believe that God brought my family to your families, and he brought your families to mine. 
our spouses, our kids, our lives interconnected, all for the sake of the gospel. But the reality is that it's hard to leave. Sometimes we've had people leave our church over disagreements, and sometimes God moves them on and takes them to their next place. And that place, here's what I want us to understand. That place, as they're walking with Jesus, if they open their hearts to him, the place that God takes folks, it's a place where they can grow and serve and reach people who wouldn't have been reached if those same folks would have just stayed where they were, right? So this is, this is just pastorally an honest moment, right? Like I've been in ministry 20 years now. And it is still to this day hard for me when anyone leaves our church. You'd think like, all right, 20 years, people have come and gone. You'd think you'd just uh, be able to just deal with it smoothly, easily. You kind of get used to it. But the reality is that almost every time, it's very difficult on me emotionally. Um, but there, even when it's very hard, there's a, there's a comfort Alongside that sadness, there's a comfort when I remember that God has sovereign purposes for allowing it all. Somebody once said this. Somebody once said that the eyes of faith look for the hand of God in all circumstances. The eyes of faith look for the hand of God in all circumstances. And guys, even when separation occurs, I just want to say, let's look for the hand of God. Because his hand is at work always. So sometimes God allows gospel workers to separate in order to have gospel work advance. Last takeaway I want to share with you today is this. See the purpose of God in the pain of separation. How? By looking to Jesus. See the purpose of God in the pain of separation by looking to Jesus. Some of you right now may have wounds in your heart that are tied to a separation from another brother or sister in Christ or a ministry situation or a previous church thing. And church family, I think what I want to close with today is reminding us of Jesus. Nobody knows the pain of separation more than Jesus. He left heaven and he came to earth. He left all the perfections and the glories there. He separated. He was betrayed by Judas. His disciples fled from him in the garden and Peter denied him the night before he was crucified. He was separated from the loyalty of his close friends. Jesus hung on the cross and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he was in in some mysterious way that I can't even totally wrap my mind around yet, separated from his father in a sense. And in that exact moment, here's what I want you to see. The worst separation in history brought the best redemption in history. So that in that exact moment, you and I who are separated from God because of our sin, we can be what? United to God by faith in Jesus. That's what was going on at the cross. So God accomplishes his sovereign purposes even through the means of disagreement or separation sometimes. Even when that separation is happening at the cross of Calvary or even when that separation is happening among people in the church, God's purposes will stand. So open your eyes of faith and see his sovereign hand in all circumstances. All right, let's pray. Lord, um,
again, we want to thank you for your word and the way that it addresses real life situations like this. Lord, we admit that we are people who sometimes are easily wounded, easily offended. And even sometimes when it's It's harder than we expected or want to admit. Um, Lord, we, we know that your sovereign hand is at work. And I thank you that we see it in the life of Paul and Barnabas in their ministries. I thank you that we see it in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so now, Lord, if there's anybody here in this moment who is experiencing the pain and the wounds in their heart of some sort of a ministry-related separation. Lord, I pray that you would please meet them right now through the power of your Holy Spirit. Let them be comforted with the understanding that you never lost control of the world and that you are working all things out for good. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room who doesn't have the hope of eternal life in Jesus. I pray today that they would see um, that he gave his life at the cross so that we who are separated from you because of our sin can be reunited with you through the forgiveness that comes in Christ. So we thank you for the gospel. Pray that you'd help us to be faithful to the gospel even when relational and ministry um, circumstances are difficult. We need your help to do that. So we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.